we're starting this new series on the book of Galatians, and I want to give you a little bit of background, and uh, the reason I want to give you background is because I, I think a lot of times that we read scripture that we don't, we don't read it from the point of who they were writing to. And I think it's, un- it's super important for us to understand who was the audience that Paul was writing to, because in our day and age, we think that Paul was writing directly to us, right? But he wasn't. He was writing to a certain group, and he was writing to this group to teach them something, to encourage them, to get something across. And when we learn what he was teaching them, then we learn what this scripture is teaching us, and we, but we need to see it through their eyes. So I want to give you a lot of background just so you have a better understanding of what's happening here. So the Apostle Paul, he's the writer of the book of Galatians. Um, it's a letter. So in Scripture, you'll also see it titled the Epistle of Galatians. So Galatians is this letter that was written sometime between uh, A.D. 47 and 49, depending on who you read, what commentaries, that can waver. There's some people that think they have an exact date, but you know, neither here nor there is sometime in between there, just to be fair. The letter is addressed to a group of church assemblies, so it's not directly to a church. It's a group of churches that are in the area. They call the Galatians in the area of Galatia. And so in this area, you have towns like Antioch. You've probably heard, if you've read the book of Acts, you've heard of Antioch. You've heard of Iconium. You've heard of Derby. And if you haven't heard of any of those, if you've studied the Apostle Paul at all, you've heard about Tarsus because that is Paul's hometown. He was at one time Saul of Tarsus was how he's referred to. Uh, you can still visit many of these places today. You just need to go to modern-day Turkey. That's where it is. Um, so you can easily fly into Turkey and go to these places. So Paul is, is writing this letter to these churches, this assembly of churches. In Galatians, there's 149 verses in the book. So you could read the entire book in about 20 minutes. The book of Galatians was one of the biggest books that was used during the Protestant Reformation. Uh, when they were trying to reclaim Jesus back to reform, and the Reformation came in with Martin Luther, the thesis, you know all about that. Um, so this was, a, this was a book that was used to reclaim freedom in Christ. So many people call it the battle cry of the Reformation, and some have even called it the Christian Declaration of Independence. So it has a lot of different meanings a lot of different people see it differently but it all comes down to the same thing it is about our independence it's our battle cry and when we study the books of the new testament there are two books that are that are key that paul wrote number one is the book of romans romans is what we would call offensive it's an offensive book because romans tells us what the gospel is so when he writes out romans he's saying this is the gospel this is the redemptive work of christ this is the good news is that you and I don't have to do anything. That Jesus already paid the price for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God or we could be in right standing with God, which that's where the word righteousness is. is Righteousness means that you and I would be in right standing with God. So Romans, what the gospel is, and when Paul writes Galatians, Galatians is what the gospel is not. So he's telling you in Romans, this is what it is. In Galatians... This is what it's not. And so he comes down pretty hard when he writes Galatians. So Paul is writing this letter to this church, this assembly, because he's writing it in order to rebuke them. 
to correct these churches in the Galatia area. His, this is a forceful little letter. It, it packs a powerful punch in just a few chapters and just a short 149 verses. But Paul's letter of Galatians addressed the Galatians, their, their legalism. It, it addressed their false gospel of works, more specifically Judaizing, which, which was saying or requiring people to keep the law of Moses. And I'm going to explain more of that in just a minute. The church was being taught that in order to be made righteous with God, that a person must keep up with the Jewish law. So you and I, to be in right standing with God, we would need to withhold all Jewish laws, even though we were Gentiles. And more specifically, what they were telling them was if you want to be in right standing with God, have relationship with God, then you've got to follow all of these Jewish laws. But the big one is you've got to be circumcised. That was the argument of the church in the day. We argue over carpet and everything else. They're arguing over circumcision. That's, I guarantee that you did not get in that argument over Christmas dinner this year. If you did, I want to meet your family because there's something special going on. Years earlier, Paul comes to Galatia. He starts these churches. He's a church planner. He invests in them. He taught them what we would call the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. And that's a tenet that we believe here at Together Church is that we're saved because of God's grace through our faith of believing that he died for us. Not, we're not saved by works. We're not having to do all these things in order to have a relationship with God. God's already paid the price. When he said, it is finished, he was saying, everything that you need to have this relationship with me, it is finished. Like, this is grace, and you didn't have to do any. It wasn't you and me up on the cross. He said, it was me. I took that. I took the weight. The Bible tells us, I think it was in Corinthians, and Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf and on my behalf so that we, so that we can become the righteousness of God. That's grace. We didn't do anything for that. And that's what Paul's writing, and he's telling them that, you do not have to earn your way in with God. You don't, it's already been done. And so this theological view is we are saved, the doctrine of justification. We are saved by grace through faith. That is really good news for us today. Because here at Together, we're grace-filled, and we believe that we don't have to earn God's love. He already loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He's forgiven us. Because of those things, we want to follow through and read Scripture, and we want to spend time with Him because we see it as a get-to versus a have-to. Get-to is a growth mindset, where has-to is a burden mindset. There's some things that you have to do as an adult that we do not like, right? We don't take the trash out. There's a, there's a consequence for that. Your house smells, the garbage stacks up, and you don't have anywhere to put it. And if you're a guy and it's your responsibility to take the trash out, then there's that aspect, too, that you're going to get in trouble. See, all the guys got really quiet really quick. But he said, Paul's telling them that God has given us this grace, and there's nothing we do to earn it. And we're going to get back to the grace piece in just a minute, but more of the background. Before Paul left Galatia, he appointed some leaders. And he, he trained them, taught them, and said, listen, as I leave, you're going to keep this going. You're going to keep these churches going. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to help disciple people. 
So he appoints these leaders, but at some point along the way, the churches lost track because they let some bad influence teachers into the church. And these teachers came in, and these false teachers, and they stepped in and they created this distorted view of the gospel. Everything was going great. And then these false teachers come in and start preaching this false gospel. Until Paul's first missionary journey, the Christian church was predominantly Jewish because it was a Jewish people that began accepting Christianity after the resurrection of Jesus. So predominantly Jewish, so of course they held to Jewish law, Jewish ritual. It's important that we understand that the early church began in Jerusalem and in the early days it held firmly to its Jewish identity of who it was. Okay, it wasn't for us Gentiles in the moment. There was a whole other argument about whether us Gentiles even had access to have a relationship with God or not. They actually had a business meeting about it. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Consequently, the, the influx of Gentiles led to all kinds of theological and even practical troubles because the Jewish people began asking, well, did these Gentiles have to adopt all these Jewish traditions too? Because we're having to do all this stuff, and they're not. That's not fair. Like, we're having to do this, and they're not doing that, and there's no fairness in that at all. Are they having to keep the law of Moses as the Old Testament believers were? Are they doing those same things? And they begin to preach that in order for these Gentiles to have this relationship, that they're going to have to follow religious laws, and they're going to have to follow the Jewish practices. In other words, they would have to work for their relationship with God. It was putting a burden on the people. It was putting religion on the people. If you want it, you got to earn it. And they created what we would call a counterfeit gospel. A counterfeit gospel. And the church of Galatians bought into this counterfeit gospel. They bought it. And, and we're going to see more of why we know that in just a second. But they began buying into the fact, okay, I'm a Gentile. And if I'm going to have a relationship with God then I'm going to have to obey the Jewish law. And I'm going to have to add all these other laws in so that I can be right with God. Counterfeit gospel. And how many of you know, at some point, anything of value will be counterfeit? Y'all been to New York? Y'all bought the DVDs that were 10 bucks, and then you realize that somebody was sitting in the theater filming the DVD? I got one of those, and you see somebody get up and walk to the bathroom. I was like, whoa, 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 this DVD is not the real thing. Surprise, surprise, I bought a DVD that wasn't out yet. It's counterfeit. I'm a, I like shoes, okay? No secret. I like shoes. I always like them. Some, something in college, I pick my shoes out before I pick my outfit out. I'm like that. I don't know what's wrong. It's there. I just embrace it, right? And I've always been like this shoe guy. And I'm not like this buy four or $500 pair of shoes. That's not me because that's, that's dumb. But ever since I was in college, I've had this fascination with shoes. Love them. Wife hates it. I love it. I have more shoes than she does. I think it's just jealousy. It's okay. I'm fine. I own it. But I learned that when you start buying certain shoes, you've got to be very careful. There's a lot of counterfeits on the market. I was reading an article just the other day that back in October of 2019, the police department did this big bust in California on counterfeit shoes. 14,000 pair of Nikes, counterfeit. Had a street value of $2.2 million. There's a lot of money in the counterfeit shoe game. If you're looking for a side career, that will possibly lead to jail. $2.2 million. People purchased these high-end shoes from weird websites and even from Amazon. 
and they received fake shoes. They had the right box, they had the right paper, they had the right colors, they had the right logo. They looked from a distance like the real deal. And people were paying three, four, five, some shoes are going for $6,000. Just recently saw a pair of shoes go for $50,000. Right? Now some of you are like, no, okay, now time out. That's why, okay. Shoes get crazy. But people were buying them, not realizing that these were counterfeits. They were, had zero value. They looked the part. They had the packaging, but they weren't real. But they were wearing them as if they were real. Here's the sad statistic that in this article it said that 10% of the people, when they realize that, wait a second, I got a counterfeit, 10% of those don't even report it because they just accept the fact that it is what it is and I have this and it looks right and nobody will notice. There are companies now that you buy from that have trained specialists that would know the shoe looks right, but the stitching is off just a little bit. It's too wide, it's too thick, it's not. And they can, they can do it. Why, why can they do that? Because they have studied it. They understand it, they know it, and they can see it across the room if a shoe is fake or not. And they're, they're out to help protect people from buying in to the counterfeit. These people just accept counterfeit because even though it's not the real thing, it's close enough. That's what's happening to the Galatians. Nobody was looking out for them. It was packaged right. It looked right. It felt right. But it wasn't right. The stitching... The thread was off a good bit. They had accepted the counterfeit. And what they accepted was the counterfeit that had zero, zero value. Now what we find in Galatians is that these false teachers emphasize the works of the law rather than the works of, of grace. Rather than saying that people are justified by grace. So these false teachers are complicating the gospel. They're taking something so simple and pure and they're making it toxic. They're makes, making it hard for people to follow. It was so complicated of a gospel that it caused some Christians to misunderstand the important teachings of salvation by grace. They weren't even experiencing the real Jesus because they're being told if you're going to be saved, you've got to do all these things that aren't even a part of your culture, but you've got to do them. So these Jewish teachers came up with their own ways of dealing with the Gentiles because um, we're just going to move in as false teachers and we're going to start preaching and the way that they were going to deal with them is insisting that one of the things that you're going to have to do is be circumcised. No way around it. You're going to have to do it. But the Jewish people were commanded from the days of Abraham because these false teachers that moved in were Jewish. And they come in and they begin pushing a cultural thing that was a theological thing for them at one point before the resurrection of Jesus. And they were commanded from the days of Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 that they were to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And as a matter of fact, if you read Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was 99 years old, and here's what it had to say. This is God talking to Abraham. As for you, Abraham, 99-year-old Abraham, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants, so they would take this verse and say, well, here we are in Galatians. So your descendants, you're part of this, so you gotta, you got to go with it too. He says, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. So that's telling Abraham that as for you, you've got to keep this covenant. So I'm not just talking about other people, Abraham. I'm talking about you too. 
Abraham doesn't like where this conversation is going, by the way. He says, the covenant you are to keep, every male among you must be circumcised. So Abraham begins to think through this thing and realize that it, it, God's talking directly to him too. Because, see, Abraham's a Gentile. Abraham's not Jewish. So who circumcised Abraham? Abraham did. Oh, now you, now. 99 years old, flint knife. You know what happened right after that obedience? <laughs> God told him, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. He gives him a promise. Now, I would have, if this, if I were Abraham, there would be a lot more dialogue between me and God in this passage. But that's all. That's all we get. So at 99 years old, Abraham grabs a flint knife, and he's obedient to what God tells him to do. Now, the false teachers begin to point back to Genesis chapter 17. No, Abraham, this is a covenant God made. You've got to do it. Abraham did it. You've got to do it. You're going to have a relationship with God. He was Gentile. You're Gentile. <laughs> Here we go. Here's a knife. Go for it. And this was what they were pushing. And at that point, they were saying, if you want a relationship, you've got to be circumcised. So what was happening was, you would think that husbands were pulling up to the church and looking at their spouses and saying, honey, I think I'm just going to stay with the camel. You go enjoy the service. I don't want to be a member here. Circumcision or hell? Mm, about the same thing. So you would think there would be a church decline if we said today that this is what has to happen. There would be a church decline. It's not what happened in Galatians. The church actually grew because people bought into this. Matter of fact, in Galatians 2, if you read it in the ESV, the Bible calls it a circumcision party. No. Don't send me that invite. But people were buying into the false God. We do the same thing. You want to be a Christian? Then you've got to do this and this and this and this and this and this if you want to have a right relationship with God. You have to, you have to do these things. When we read the scriptures that Jesus preached, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It wasn't, hey, if you love me, you're going to do everything I told you to. It was, no, 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 no. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep my commandments. Why? Because we'll do everything in our power not to damage that relationship. This is why we love our spouses. This is why we don't want to cheat on our spouse. Because I will do everything in my power not to mess this relationship up because I love my spouse so much. I'll do anything I can to not mess this relationship up with God because I love him so much. I, I want to read more about it. I want to know more about his character. I want to spend time with him. Not because I have to check off the button. Because I get to. And this was, the Galatians were not getting this part of it because they're being told that you've got to do these things. And not much has changed between this time to today. We do the same thing with people. Galatians is a great reminder because Paul teaches the concerns with the balance between legalism and the license through and the emphasis of faith working through love. He's balancing this legalistic approach. So it serves as a reminder that the simplicity of the gospel is the greatest gift that you and I can have. That 
all the background that we just talked about seems like a lot. But it's important that you understand that piece. Because put yourself in their situation for a second. Ladies are like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, whatever. Guys, not so much. But ladies, there were things that you were required to do as Jewish women too. You had Jewish laws that you had to obey. And women in biblical times were not treated with the highest of dignity. That changed when Jesus came along. You were told when you got through with school, you go have lots of babies and become a good housewife. That was your job. That wouldn't fly today. But you had certain things you had to do. They were being, this law was pushing down on who God was trying to make them to be. The thing that he had died for to break religion, they were pushing right back into. So Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, and he says this. I'm not from men, nor through man. I'm through Jesus. I'm through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you get this letter as a church and your pastor start, hey, Paul sent us a letter. I want to read it to you guys today. And man, Paul's saying grace and peace to you. But then he follows it up with this next piece. This is like when you have the breakup that's about to happen. It's not me. It's you. Y'all ever said that one? Because typically it's the other way around. It's it's not you, it's me, right? I just messed that up. But look, what, look at the second thing that Paul follows it up with. Grace and peace to you. But I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Here's the point. To believe a different gospel is to desert God. There is no other gospel. He, what he's saying is we use the term gospel like a different gospel because the only way to really describe it, but what you're living in is not a gospel at all. It is not grace. It is earned. It is you've got to do all these things and check off all these boxes and live in condemnation when you don't check off the boxes. And when you have a different gospel, you desert God because God is not a part of any other gospel but his. This is clear from Paul's words, and he's telling you're so quickly deserting him for a different gospel. Simply, Paul was saying to forsake the God-ordained means of coming to God is not just to come to God. The Greek word can mean to be transferred to another place. The word uh, can mean to revolt. It can mean to change one's mind. It can mean changing your mind and beliefs or even religion. He's saying that when you desert, it is God who you are turning from. It is God who you're revolting against. They're moving away from God to another religion is what he's saying. And now the people sitting there going, well, what happened to this grace and peace thing? Like, this turned quick. And he continues, Paul says, not that there's another one. So he's very clear on that. You, you turn to a different gospel, but time out, not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, these false teachers were probably sitting in the back waiting their turn to, to speak when the letter is being written, and this was a direct stab to them. Hey, some of you are troubled. Oh, you know who I'm talking to. 
because you want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here's another point. A false gospel is not good news at all. It's not good news at all. The gospel the false teachers are teaching is not good news because it doesn't save you at all. It's painful because you've got to do all these works. To be a follower of this particular teaching disqualified one from enjoying the freedom that is only found in Jesus. The one who both fulfilled the law and bore the curse that we deserved for breaking the law. And Paul says that Jesus rescued us from our sins. Whereas our own physical circumcision couldn't do that. Following Jewish law could not do that. The law was put into place to show us that we couldn't do it by ourselves. Jesus came to give us the grace because we've recognized that we can't do this by ourselves. I don't know if y'all seen the article going around. It's a great article on Facebook. And by the way, I'll get to Facebook and theology in just a minute. But this is actually a good article. On Jesus ain't no self-help. Self-help is what got us into this sin mess to start with. Well, if you go eat of this tree, you'll know as much as God. Well, I don't need God. I'll just go bite off this tree. And every guy in the room's like, see, you've messed that up for us. Read the passage closer because Adam was standing right there watching the whole thing go down and didn't say a word. And when God came strolling through, what would you do? First thing he did, beep, beep, bus coming. She did it. Y'all pay attention to that verse. And so Paul here is saying that a false gospel is not good news at all because it doesn't save anybody. And so what we see here is these people are said to be distorting the gospel. The Greek word here means to change to the opposite, to go the other direction. That you're, you're going a completely different route from what you've been taught. And, and the same word is used in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, to signify the sun turning to darkness. Same word, distort. And in James 4, chapter 9, I mean chapter 4, verse 9, it's used again for laughter being turned into mourning. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is used in Psalm 77 for the Nile being turned to blood. There seems to be this powerful perspective on things when we read this. Because darkness is to the sun as anything, but the gospel is to the gospel. It is what it is. He continues in verse 6. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? This is Paul speaking now because this is a pretty harsh letter up to this point. There's some people grabbing some stones. They're ready to take him out. They're hurting. It's not a real feel-good message, is it? If you're the, if you're the recipient of this, of this letter. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, you can't have two masters. You're going to have to pick. Those who seek to please men cannot possibly consider themselves slaves of Christ. You can't. You can't. You've got to be obedient to Jesus and Jesus alone. 
It can be difficult to profess the truth of the gospel with boldness if you struggle with people-pleasing. I don't want to offend them and make them upset. You don't have to offend people. We live in a culture where we feel like everything's offensive. You don't, Jesus spoke with truth and grace. We just leave out the grace part because we don't understand it. But he says to speak with truth and to speak with grace. But you can't be pleasing people when it comes to preaching the gospel. You've got to speak the truth. He says when we, when we make people big and we make God small, we diminish the gospel. We diminish the gospel. So the desire to remain neutral and to be accepted by our boss or our families or even, even our pastor can sometimes cause issues if it affects the way that we present scriptural truth. In other words, we're so worried about letting people down and disappointing people because we won't walk in boldness. And, and Paul explains in verse 10, he says that pleasing other people is not his mission. And that pleasing God is his main priority in his teaching. The gospel is offensive by itself. It doesn't need any help from us. Because it cuts. Remember, he says the, the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts. It cuts the tendons. It cuts down the bone. It cuts out the sin. But it doesn't give us permission to be ugly and rude to people. That's where the hang-up is. If you'll notice, Paul, Paul's going to wrap this whole book up in a very loving way. It seems real harsh right now. But don't start applying like the way that he's presenting this harshness to them today. Wait to the end of the book and then start living that out because this will not work well for you. So this, Paul's telling them, you, you can't please people. It's not our mission. And that pleasing God is his main priority in his teaching. The logic is that Paul's going, you know, God is the one who called him to preach. So it is to him that he has to answer to, not people. Of course, you have people in your life that hold you accountable and people that give you wise counsel. But those people give you wise counsel so that you can clearly hear from God and not go crazy and be like, well, you know what, here's what we're going to do today. No, there's accountability in it. The gospel message that Paul professes is true, and he says the source of everything is Jesus. Everything. So in verses 6 through 17, Paul begins his discourse. He's confronted um, something that we've all fallen prey to, which is being swayed uh, from a true understanding of something to another thing over time. That we just get comfortable thinking this is the way it always has been. This is the way it is. Not realizing it's a cultural thing. And another way of saying it is that sometimes we buy into a counterfeit gospel. Would you agree with that? Is that a fair statement to say that we all tend to buy into gospels that are counterfeit? All of us. And all of us can experience this kind of a drift if we're not careful. So we've got to be very careful not to drift into this. But all of us can experience that if we are not people of the Word of God. And we've got to be able to hear the Word. That's why it's so important for us to spend this year, just bare minimum of the five minutes, at the least, to spend in His Word. So that when we hear false teaching, when we hear things that aren't true, that we can speak life and speak truth and speak the gospel into it. That's, that's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't need us to defend it. It's like it, it says, it's like a lion. You don't need to chain a lion. A lion will defend itself, right? And so we've got to be real careful because 
As breathing is to life, is Bible study to the believer. It has to happen. It has to happen. Because understanding God's word is going to empower us to test everything by his word and by his spirit, which Paul will later say. We test everything by the spirit. It doesn't matter who's teaching it. You've got to test it. We've, we've, we have to be able to distinguish false gospels. That's why um, we, we've got to be in the word to be able to, because when we hear something, we go, whoa, 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 that doesn't line up with scripture. That's not what the scripture says. And, and correct that in a graceful tone. This is especially true when we rely on the voices of multiple teachers or we get our information from multiple sources without studying it on our own. We just hear something that sounds great and we send it and share it and do whatever we do with it. And we don't, we don't study it on our own to solidify our own understanding. The worst place in the world for us to get our theology is from social media. I don't know if you guys know that. And Wikipedia. That's another not good place. Because I see people share stuff all the time that's not even close to being biblical. It sounds great, but it's not reality. It's not biblical. For instance, and I'm not picking on Clemson Tigers. Go Tigers, okay? National Championship, go Tigers. The Death Valley ones. That's as much as I'm going to say. When an athlete quotes Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Paul was not sitting in a jail cell writing about a national championship game when he said that. It sounds great. And I, I applaud athletes, coaches, people on the main stage that have a bigger platform that show their, show their relationship with Jesus. I, great. But when we take scripture out of context, it's not what he was talking about. It seems good. Or deer hunters, when you quote the psalmist, has the deer pants for the water? He's not talking about sitting in a deer stand waiting on that 10-point buck to show up to the water. But I've seen it on deer hunters' coffee cups. It's not what he was talking about. We have to test everything against the words of Scripture. Even, even pastors. That hasn't changed either because these false pastors had come in the church of Galatia. But you've got to test false pastors too. How do you do that? You, you put it up against Scripture. Because I've seen people share stuff from pastors, and I'm like, what is that? Not even close. I heard a pastor not long ago say, here's how you earn favor from God. Favor? Earn? That doesn't sound like Jesus. Galatians chapter 1. What is Paul saying here? It is grace by justification. We, we are saved through justification from grace by faith, not you earn this. False teachings. And we share it. We, we have to test everything with Scripture. Everything. Every leader, we have to test it. Here's what I'm telling you. Go home today. Read Galatians chapter 1. Make sure that what I'm saying is right. I have preached messages that have been off. And nobody caught it. And I just prayed that nobody would and that God would erase that from their memory because it wasn't right. Test everything, every word, by the scripture. No matter how good it sounds, check it. Okay? The gospel message. Last few things right here. The gospel message was by supernatural revelation. Did you know that? Supernatural. It was further proving 
the high authority in Christ's message. So what we can say is we can be secure in the information that Paul's giving us in this letter because he's saying this is a revelation. So Paul gives in this letter of Galatians, he says this source is from God. It's not from me. This is from God. I'm writing because God's given me these words to write to you. And you have to ask yourself, when you hear things, read things, does this align with Scripture? Does it align with Scripture? We can't rely on the voices of other people. We have to rely on the Word of God. So you need to know the difference between revelation and speculation. Here's real quickly. It might be just better if you just want to take a quick photo of this. Um, I'll slide out of your way because you don't want me ruining your photo. Um, but if you do, um, it'll be okay. Revelation is this. Revelation is from God. Revelation is based on truth. Revelation is God's word to man. And it's unchanging. So here's what Paul was saying. These words that I'm writing to you are revelation. These are from God. These are based on truth. This is God's word to you. And this is unchanging. So nothing's going to change about this. Then you have speculation. Speculation is from man. Speculation is based on tradition. Speculation is man's words about God. Speculation is always changing. In other words, speculation is an opinion. And we all have those. And Paul's saying, what I'm writing to you is revelation. So when you test it against the Spirit, ask, is this revelation or speculation? Is this just an opinion? Or is this a revelation? The Galatians turned to a different message of false gospel that was based on speculation. It, they, they were speaking from a word from man and not a word from God because God had already done away with the whole religious law because he tore the veil so that now you and I can have relationship with God and go directly to God and not have to have a priest do it on our behalf. And the explicit use, when Paul says, the one who called you to live in grace in Christ implies that this different gospel dealt with a preaching of salvation that was legalistic. It was speculation. Grace is what Paul is pushing here. You don't have to do all these things. You don't have to do them. But we all fall prey to a similar work-based message like the Galatians believers did. You know why? Because we live in a work-to-earn culture. Work-to-earn culture. You know why grace is hard for you and I to understand sometimes and accept and to give? Because we live in this work-to-earn culture. We earn everything. Think about it. We tell our kids, if you want dessert, you got to earn it by eating your vegetables. You want to get paid? You're going to have to work a job. You're going to have to earn the money. If you don't work, you don't get paid. You want good grades? You got to earn them. You want to be a starter on the team? You got to earn it. And we all have this tendency to shift back into that mode when we view God. I feel like I disappointed God. He's probably mad with me right now. He probably doesn't want to talk, so I need to do some good things to get him back in good graces with me. No, he's already died for that. He just wants you to acknowledge and repent that you messed up. Because God doesn't move. We do. And we have this tendency to shift back towards work. If I blank, God will love me more. If I, you fill in the blank. 
Because there are probably things that you and I have. I know the things that I have that I thought, if I do this, God will love me more. He'll make me more successful if I do that. God's never called us to success. He's called us to faithfulness. Big difference. When we think that there's we have to do to earn, that's work earned theology. And it's not biblical. The beautiful thing about grace, it is, get this word, unmerited. It's unmerited favor of God towards you and me. In other words, we don't do anything to earn that. God did it for us because he's a loving God. The word grace is used over 170 times in the New Testament. Think it's important? I think so. Grace is not bought. It is a free gift of God to needy mankind. Grace means that someone needs to do something, to give something. And here's the good news. It's not you. God's already done it. God's already done it. Jesus has already given us grace when he said it is finished. We need to be very careful to separate the world's system of working to earn from God, system of grace and truth. You gotta be very cautious of that. The Galatians were so easily deceived that they were forming lines to go through the rituals of the Jewish people because they so wanted a relationship, they would have done anything for it, but yet they were looking at Jesus, but yet not really seeing him. Because they were listening to false teachers who claimed to have good intentions, but were leading them the wrong way. Alternative gospels, such as those that Paul preached, or those preached by Paul's opponents, they distort God's intended redemptive activity and they leave humanity to suffer the just result of sinfulness. It's just not in the gospel. These false gospels don't reconcile people to God. They don't do anything to remedy human sinfulness and it just leaves us feeling condemned. So, the church must take care and time to kind of sift through what's true and what's not. And let the Holy Spirit be our guide on that, which Paul is going to get to later in this letter. So as to protect against the teaching that leaves its hearers in danger of eternal, eternal destruction. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. Number one, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. You don't have to do anything. If you write that down, put a big smiley face beside it, put a bunch of exclamation marks because that should excite you. Here's the second takeaway is that we should study scripture intimately in order to recognize false teachings. Because if it's not the gospel, then it's not pushing us towards Jesus. And I want to end on this question. If the gospel message is so simple, then why did the Galatians have such a hard time accepting the simplicity over the complicated religious rules? Why do we have such a hard time accepting? And I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me and you, because I do too. Y'all know I'm not perfect, right? Y'all know I mess up, because I'm going to disappoint you at some point. But we have such a hard time accepting the simplicity of the gospel. And that's the question that we're going to answer next week. So next week, we're going to study Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 9. We'll put that up on the screen for you too. Um, post this so you have it 
But we're going to study Galatians chapter 3 next week, and we're going to see that the simplicity of the gospel can be hard for us to accept. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate and thank God for grace, right? Thank God for his grace. Thank God that we don't have to run through the gamut of religious stuff, that we can just love him because we love him because of who he is. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, I thank you so much today for your grace. Thank you for Paul writing that letter to the Galatians because even though it was written so long ago, there's so much application that it has for even us today because we're, we're living in the same culture that we so often feel like we have to earn your love. But God, you just want us just to love you. You love us regardless. And when we love you, we want to spend time with you. We want to grow. We want to be transformed by the power of your word because we get to. And Lord, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your shed blood and your resurrection. Thank you for your love. And we pray these things in your name.